Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is underway from 6th and Peabody. Yeehaw beer, old smoky moonshine. Big show today, jam-packed. Jason Campbell, former Auburn Tiger quarterback, Washington Redskins quarterback. He will be with us to talk all things Auburn Tigers. That will be, and by the way, the coaching search, that will be coming up and uh, in about an hour from now. We've got John McClain, NFL headlines. That's where we're about to start. Plus Billy Lucci and Frank Isola coming up in hour number three. Chad, good afternoon. It's going to be a big show today, Hutton. Excited about this uh, packed guest list we have today. We had a uh, a very unlikely outcome in Monday Night Football last night. And when we have Jason Campbell on later, his teammate that he handed the ball off to a lot, Carnell Cadillac Williams, now the interim head coach at Auburn, is there any truth to the rumors that he may get the job full-time? And that scene at Auburn on Saturday night, and Jason Campbell was right there to celebrate with Cadillac Williams after the fact, I cannot wait to ask Jason Campbell, that very question, and see where his support lies if he's actually a candidate to land the full-time gig at Auburn. There's something to be said about being the guy at a university, coming back, being the interim, and get this opportunity, and to see what Auburn's doing now, right? So, and the new AD. And he certainly knows the boosters well. And if somebody laughs at that, there is precedent for more of a, a motivational CEO as the head coach of the program if the fit is right than people would think. I put Dabo Sweeney in that category, who's been super successful. Sam Pittman would fall in that category. Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. All of those guys, when they were hired, people laughed because they think, oh, some of these guys haven't even been a, a coordinator on one side of the ball. They've been a special teams coordinator. They were an offensive line coach like Sam Pittman but they understood their jobs, where what job they were taking. They hired really good staffs, and they've gotten the job done at their respective schools. Could that happen for Cadillac Williams? Maybe. So we'll ask Jason Campbell about it coming up. Hey, like, like we've said, um, we nearly saw a scenario where Auburn led 10-0 in the Iron Bowl a year ago, where Harson's probably not getting the inquiry in February, right? Like, you win that game over Bama probably not going down that path. And Cadillac Williams will have that game coming up in a couple of weeks. Who knows? Um, it's his chance to, to win his way into the job, possibly. Props to Ron Rivera and the Washington Commanders. This team at 5-5, five and five, um, I, I sit there and watch them play last night, and I just shake my head because uh, they've got Taylor Heineke, who once again starts and has this energy about him at quarterback that uh, there's, a, there's a moxie to him. He's not a top quarterback in the league. You know, if we're listing 32 starters, Taylor Heineke's not going to come up 
by many sports fans in the top 15 or 20, right? But last night, he was great. And on top of that, the defense flying around, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson making a, a big show in there, Brian Robinson at running back. What they did from their first possession after Philly went down and scored. Um, and if you'd have told me that Philly was scoring on their first two possessions, there's no way in my mind they're losing that game. Not only did they lose, they trailed at halftime because of how Washington attacked. And yeah, there was a, a face mask penalty that wasn't called on a fumble. There was another flukish, I would say flukish uh, fumble on a big pass play for Philly. Still, Washington went in there and they're playing extremely tough, physical, relentless, and for a 5-5 five and five team, considering everything they've gone to, they've gone through to, to hand Philly their first loss of the season. Philly, who's coming off a bye. Chad, I mean, we'll have uh, coming up later this week teams that we've eliminated from postseason contention. Not only do I have Washington on that list, I've got Green Bay. And you better believe I'm feeling awful for it because I see a Washington team in a division that is stacked that I wouldn't, if I'm in the, across the NFC, I wouldn't want to play them right now with the confidence they're playing with. And they showed it. And it's not like Philly was awful. This was Philly putting points on the board early and a couple of mistakes here and there. You had the roughing the passer issue at the very end, which also played a massive factor. But I watched that game thinking, man, this is, this is more about where Washington is right now to meet the upper tier of the league. Yeah, in my, my DraftKings bet yesterday, I liked Washington to cover the 10.5. Did not think they'd win this game. And didn't think they'd win it the way that they did, especially falling behind 7-0 after an early turnover, falling behind 14-7 after a Dallas Goddard touchdown, rallying the way they did, forcing turnovers. Philadelphia came in with three turnovers all year. Yes. Four last night. One was the very end of the game when, when it was already settled. But what a performance by them. And then to have that emotional scene in the locker room with Ron Rivera, whose mother recently passed away, talking about how his mom would be proud of that team and that game and that moment. And then Terry McLaurin showing what a leader does, stepping right up and, and taking over for Ron Rivera and addressing the team. I thought it was really cool to see a franchise that has gone through a lot yes, rally and get to this point, and now they go to Houston for their next game to get to 6-5. and five. It's a remarkable story. That NFC East, top to bottom, is a pretty remarkable story so far this year. When you look at all those teams, you can pick interesting storylines with every team. Even Dallas losing Dak Prescott early and going almost undefeated with Cooper yeah. Rush, just losing that last game he started against these Eagles who just lost their first game of the year. That is a division that is chock full of great storylines. Well, and I think the commanders show you the blueprint of how you've got to keep up with Philly. You, you keep up by keeping the offense off the field. They ran the football 49 times. And if you were watching the highlight reel, if you woke up today and saw the final score of 32-21, you're thinking, man, they, they separated at the end. It was 26-21, and they were doing the fumble-rooski play at the end, just trying, Philly was, trying to just make something happen on the final play. Fumble behind the line of scrimmage on a lateral, picks it up for a touchdown, and, and that's the ball game. Point being, the 49 rushes, uh, far exceeded the big explosive plays in the passing game that we saw. But there, the, the, the overall energy from Washington on the road last night, I just found it intriguing. I think you could find other teams with four wins right now that you don't feel great about. I think you look at this team and know the division that they're in, and I see a Washington team that can take a, another step forward, get above 500 a week from now. 
I don't think that's out of the, the realm based on how they've played. They're going to play tight window games, and this is one that they, that they won. And in recent, recent history with, with Taylor Heineke, they're, they're in games late, and they can spin it because while we were previewing Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown, A.J. who only had one catch last night, and he was banged up early on a sideline catch, um, Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson are legit. They're legit, and they, they took over. McLaurin had his best game of the year. Uh, really impressed with, with Washington. Let's get into the officiating a yes, little bit yep. with, with the two key calls. The, the, the missed face mask on the fumble by Hertz was egregious. That's terrible. It was very obvious. It should have been called. It wasn't. That was a horrible break for Philly. I'll disagree with people that have an issue with the, the Brandon Graham penalty. No, I don't either. At the I, end. I have no issue with that because that was him being dumb. Yeah, and he uh, and we had uh, Heineke was taking a knee. Yeah, it was obvious. But I, you know, there's there, a lot of people look at that and say Brandon Graham admitted I even, that. Too. I even read a story that said another very questionable call in the end on Brandon Graham. It doesn't look bad, but I think what people are missing is there's a difference between roughing the passer when he's passing the football and barely touching them, which are and also calling questionable. A foul. Right, those are always questionable. It's different if you make any contact with a guy taking a knee. The way he did, as late as he did, it's a penalty. It was a dumb play. You're right, Graham admitted it afterward. Uh, that was a bad moment for him and the Eagles. Here is Ron Rivera discussing the win and the game plan to go on the road and win in Philly and give them their first defeat. We felt if we could control the line scrimmage and run the ball, we could slow things down. And that's what we were able to do. I mean, you know, the dude's a dynamic quarterback. He's done a heck of a job. And Jalen's not a bad guy either. And it's not like they had big numbers. Brian Robinson, 79 yards. He had the touchdown. His touchdown run where he is fighting at the goal line, refusing to go down, reaching across the goal line with three guys trying to push him back is remarkable. Uh, you, you see that and you're like, okay, this is, this is amazing. And then you realize that dude was shot in the preseason and is Multiple back, times. On, back on the field doing that on the road against Philly's defense. Um, I asked Armando, and I, I think his numbers aren't going to get there, and I think comeback player of the year will eventually uh, end up with Geno Smith. But, I, I mean, they don't make any rules against voting for a, a player that comes back from injury in the same season. That, to me, just the storyline alone is worthy of that accolade. But there's no definition of what the media votes on for comeback player, and I think it'll be Geno Smith. Point being, uh, there are small storylines surrounding the big picture storylines with the Washington Commanders right now. And when you factor everything in, it is crazy to me they're 5-5. Five and five. And I've talked a lot about the lack of, uh, of finesse in the league this year, the lack of the, the eye appeal of games where they're not as pretty to watch as they have been in recent years. And I attribute a lot of that to the lack of great quarterback play across the league. Hutton, it's interesting when you look at some of these good surprise teams – the quarterbacks of these teams, Taylor Heineke, Carson <laughs> yeah. Wentz, yep. Daniel Jones of the Giants. I'll even put Ryan Tannehill being hurt and not having a great season on that list of a team that's 6-3 and three with the Titans. I mean, go down the list of these. Geno Smith, Tua. who's had a great year. Tua stepped it up, and he may, uh, you know, in this offense for the Dolphins. Now, he may end up being a star. We don't know, but these guys who are not stars – who have been cast-offs, uh, who are on the last year of their chance at a place like a Daniel Jones, 
Coming through, not with gaudy stats sometimes, but wins. Daniel Jones of the Giants. Geno Smith has had great stats at times this season with the Seahawks. That's a pretty cool comeback story for a lot of these guys and a lot of these franchises where conventional thinking is, if you've got the stud quarterback, you've got the team. And that's not always the case. The team can make a pretty lousy to mediocre quarterback look good in the win-loss column if they do their job and they have a specific role within the team. And we're seeing that with teams like the Commanders. Fair to put Jimmy Garoppolo in that category? Absolutely. He started the season as a backup. They didn't want him. They were hoping to trade him this offseason. And now he's back and he's played well the last two weeks now. And you've got San Francisco back in the picture in the West after taking down the Chargers. And teams with supposed good to great quarterbacks. Tom Brady with the Bucks, so-so. Aaron Rodgers, the yep. Packers, not good. Justin Herbert with the Chargers, not very good. Derek Carr with the Raiders, terrible. I mean, I'm going through a list of who I would say is top 10 or fringe mm-hmm. quarterbacks in the league. Look at their records compared to that of Taylor Heineke, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson. It's a pretty remarkable year in the NFL. So for all I've said about not being as fun or as watchable this year, that's been the case. Matthew Stafford. Throw other, in there. other than Vikings-Bills, yeah. which was incredible in every yeah. way on Sunday. But it doesn't mean that there's not fun storylines across the league. Here is the updated standings across the NFL as we go in officially to week 11. The Kansas City Chiefs with the number one seed in the AFC. Despite the loss, the Eagles still number one in the NFC. Um, eight and one for, for Philly, seven and two for KC. Miami overtakes the number one spot in the AFC East this week. That's because they're, the Bills are 0 and 2 in the division, and they're the sixth seed currently in the AFC. Titans are number three right now, uh, leaders by far of the AFC South. And the Ravens, who I think are really starting to pull away in the North, those are your division winners. And then in the hunt, the Jets. Uh, excuse me, the wild card, the Jets, the Bills, and the Patriots right now. And on the opposite side, the Buccaneers, the division leader in the NFC, uh, the Seahawks in the West, and currently the wild cards, Giants, Cowboys, 49ers. And then look at the team just beneath them. You've got the Chargers who are coming off a loss, a big game for Los Angeles coming up this Sunday night against Kansas City. That was flexed to Sunday night football. The Bengals, who are still hanging around after the slow start, and the Indianapolis Colts, followed by the Browns. Those are the first four teams out right now. Remember, seven teams get in, not six anymore. Washington is right on the outside. And as you start to analyze the the NFC East, the last remaining team outside the postseason is in fourth place right now in the division. That's Washington with some division matchups coming up. Followed by Green Bay, who's back in... It's showing some life after what they did against Dallas, and they will host the Titans on Thursday night football, followed by the Falcons and the Cardinals. I think the Falcons... Let's get the Lions off of there. Yeah, right now... (laughs) Lions and Broncos and Browns also. We're we're stretching far to go to those three and six teams. But who knows? Anything can happen. Well, right now, they're listing literally every team from every... So if, if Tyler keeps scrolling, you're going to see the bottom feeders, Houston, Chicago... Uh, Los Angeles is pretty far down there. Pittsburgh, no need to keep Carolina. scrolling. Tyler. But again, let's, like, let's bump it back up. This is where once we hit the Panthers, it's time to bump back up. This is where like it, we can go ahead and list these on our you know teams we're we're eliminating from postseason contention. But the Colts with life, Green Bay with life, Washington in the East, 
Um, I'm fascinated to see which of those teams actually become a trend instead of a flash of good play. And the effort and mentality I saw from Washington was way different than what I saw from Green Bay or what I saw from Indianapolis. Just bird's eye view, top to bottom, the entire game. I, I thought that game plan going against Philly, coming off of 15 days since their last game, well-rested. I, I was impressed last night by Ron Rivera. And I had him on my coach's hot seat list that was going to get fired. I don't, I'm not saying that anymore. I'm thoroughly impressed with the direction that he's done and how he's galvanized that group. Yeah, it was a great performance. Uh, I, I, Philly was going to lose at some point. I never thought they were going to go 17-0 uh, this season. Right. I am surprised it happened at home to Washington. I figure it happened in one of their, their upcoming away games. Not the case, though. Full credit to the Commanders. Um, Cooper Cup headed to injured reserve with the Los Angeles Rams high ankle sprain, so he's out at least four weeks, and that was their offense. They have really struggled in pass protection and passing offense, except for Cooper Cup. He's now headed to injured reserve with that ankle issue. And uh, Chad, you're going to love it. Browns and Bills, likely going to be our first heavy snow game. Oh. That happens this Sunday in Buffalo. Let it snow. I love it. (laughs) I got excited Saturday morning waking up and seeing in Fayetteville, Arkansas, there was a sheet of snow on the ground before LSU and Arkansas played. It snowed overnight. By the time the sun came out and they got the, the yeah. field wiped off, there was no sight of snow. It quickly melted. But when I saw that first little hint of a winter wonderland, I did get a bit excited. I love bad weather games. I don't want anything in between. If you're going to have bad weather in a football game, do not dip your toes in the shallow end. Go off the high dive, cannonball, right into it. I'm talking gust of wind, hurricane-like winds, rain, not just any rain, but the field soaked, feet splashing on the field the whole time, tons of snow. Give me something crazy if you're going to get bad weather. That's all I ask. A quick show update as uh, we get ready for the, the rest of the show. Paul Koharski uh, on, on Twitter, at Paul Koharski NFL, announced today he's no longer with Outkick 360. He's focused on paulkoharski.com, and he, is, have, he has some other things planned as well that he'll announce down the road. The three of us were together going on full 11 years with the show, the the trio. And we had a great run, a fun run. We became the best of friends, remain great friends, and are extremely loyal to each other in that regard, where we wanted to keep the show together as long as possible. And uh, we remain great friends with Paul moving forward and wish him nothing but the best with what he has planned for his site and more Titans and NFL coverage here in Nashville and and beyond. And again, Chief, not going to be the same. Uh, It's odd sitting this far away from Chad. And um, we just say cheers to you and can't wait to chat later this week, hopefully. Yeah, 10 years is a long time in this business, starting as a show way back in, in 2012. Uh, it's been quite the ride with Paul. Very appreciative of the ride. And also, we wish Paul, uh, Teresa, Simon the very best yes. moving forward uh, with whatever the next adventure is professionally for Paul and with his website. Again, uh, there's a lot of memories and a lot of time spent together on the airwaves over the years. So, Paul, you'll be missed. Best of luck with what's next.
Coming up, we've got a big discussion on the SEC in regards to opposites going into the season, LSU and Texas A&M, and how we view both programs now as we go into the SEC championship game in about three weeks. And wait until, Chad, you hear Pro Football Focus's analysis of Will Levis that I read last night. And I saw this in the rundown, and I intentionally did not read it because I wanted to hear it from you so I could give you my actual reaction, knee-jerk reaction on air. That's all straight ahead, plus Billy Lucci, Jason Campbell, and more. Outkick 360, excited to partner with Aurora Nutriscience, a trusted partner that keeps us here at Outkick 360 mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. VitaLifeScience.com is the website I mentioned. V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com tells you everything you need to know about what they're about and all the products that they can supply for you. And Outkick 360 season ticket holders, if you're listening right now, if you're viewing us online at Outkick.com, you receive a 15% discount with the code Outkick360 at checkout. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. Here's Aurora, unique cutting edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream, vitamin C, vitamin D3, glutathione, you use those every day. So many more benefits for you. Again, vitalifescience.com is where you can find out more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360, V-I-D-A, vitalifescience.com. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So here we are, November 15th. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine making it happen from our 6th and Peabody studios in downtown Nashville. November 15th, Chad, rewind to August 15th, September 1st. Okay. And the, the perception we had of Texas A&M and LSU. And if I didn't say it then, I said it a couple of weeks after. Like there was a... I felt like if you were going to get LSU with Brian Kelly there, knowing his track record of, I mean, many people were saying then the roster that Brian Kelly inherited, which what, like 36 players were left over or something in that bowl game with Orgeron and all that, like, um, or the final game, whatever it was. Was it Kansas State that beat him bad? I with think, those? yes, I think that's yeah. right. But like, they, had, they barely had enough players to even go. And they probably didn't. I mean, but point being, that group, the the scouting analysts, the talent evaluators in college football, would write and say on podcasting, they would say Brian Kelly just inherited a better, more talented roster than the one he left at Notre Dame. Think about that. And then you're like, okay, if you're going to get them, this is the year. Well, turns out, if you were going to get them, you needed to get them before November, before before Halloween. Meanwhile, A&M has been building to this season in what felt like 
great, greatest freshman class ever, greatest signing class, however you want to frame it. And we'll talk with Billy Lucci more about this. The, the skid and the free fall they were on felt like kind of the finish or the ups and downs, the bumps in the road that Brian Kelly was going to have to scratch and claw to get to seven wins. And it's been the exact opposite. And no longer am I sitting here going, well, LSU is going to be what Texas A&M should be. They're already there in, a, in big regard. And when you consider the programs and the hype and the talent and the, the expectation for what Jimbo Fisher was supposed to do versus what Brian Kelly has done so far, it's, it's crazy to think about. And then you compare the buyouts and all the scrutiny that Kelly was under and now Fisher's feeling the heat. Reverse back to August 15th and we're talking about accents and everything else. It's crazy how quickly those narratives changed for both football programs. Well, Brian Kelly's a better coach than Jimbo Fisher. And, and, and hear me out on this argument. Just because you win one national championship, that is the end-all, be-all. That is the goal for everyone who enters that profession in college football is to one day win it all. Jimbo Fisher did that in 2013 at Florida State. That's his one national title. Um, Brian Kelly hasn't won one yet. He left Notre Dame because he felt like while he was in the playoffs twice and a national championship game once, he wasn't going to have a real opportunity at Notre Dame to win it all, and LSU would offer him that opportunity to win the ultimate prize. Brian Kelly's a better coach even though he hasn't won a national title. Just because you win one doesn't make you better than other coaches who have never won one. Let me give you an example. Jimbo Fisher is way closer to Les Miles than he is some other coaches in college football. Mm. I would even argue some who have never won a national title. Les Miles had success at Oklahoma State, had great success at LSU, where everyone seemingly now has success when they take that job. If your name's not Jerry DiNardo, <laughs> since Jerry DiNardo, everyone's had success. So the job matters. Where you go, what league you're in, what you inherit matters. So I do believe that Brian Kelly will win a national title at some point at LSU. And I just think he's a better football coach than Jimbo Fisher. This is not to say that Jimbo Fisher is as bad as his 4-8 and eight record this year, which that's what it's going to be, shows. But I also don't think that Jimbo Fisher is national championship winning good. Not the current iteration of Jimbo Fisher. The one that refuses to evolve and take away his own responsibility on offense. Because it's not working. He's got to hire someone to revamp that offense. Brian Kelly, I think a big difference is, while personalities both can be a little bit like sandpaper with both those guys at times, certainly with Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly would quickly acknowledge, we got to blow this thing up and start over. Brian Kelly in 2016 at Notre Dame had a 4-8 and eight season. He fires coordinators. He gets rid of some of his staff. He lets guys transfer away. And he restarts knowing they need to refocus and change what they're doing quickly. Will Jimbo Fisher do the same? Is he able to adjust or will he have too much pride to do that? That's the biggest question now moving forward. But I think ultimately, Hutton, this comes down to when you look at the role reversal of these two programs, I think Brian Kelly's a better head football coach than Jimbo Fisher. I think it's that simple. Look at it from this perspective. Texas A&M started this season ranked sixth in the nation. Preseason. You can say whatever you want about preseason rankings. The teams that were ranked pretty high in the preseason generally are there. Right? We had the stat to begin the year. If you're ranked in the top six, 
the history will show in the college football playoff, the champion comes from those six teams. And while we may not see that this year, Texas A&M was in that discussion. Like Radio Row at SEC Media Days. Everyone's discussing whether or not they can crack through the Bama ceiling. And LSU was battling Auburn and, in some cases, Mississippi State. Um, Other cases, Arkansas, depending on who they had ranked where. It was Mississippi State fifth, I believe. They were battling them for the bottom of the West. And now you see Auburn knock off Texas A&M, and they go from sixth preseason to now on November 15th. They've ensured that they're not going to a bowl game. Period. And if not for a K.J. Jefferson fumble that was returned 100 yards for a touchdown, they'd only have three wins on the season. They um, would go 0-8 in the SEC also. That's going to be their lone SEC win. They, Chad, they opened up, to your point, they opened up the second half on their first seven drives. They netted a total of five yards. Um, I, I always hesitate to say a team quits because I did. See, I was watching this game. I did see players fighting in this game. It's not like they're just going through the motions. But it's also like I don't see the four-star talent or the five-star talent consistent. Um, and it's not just a quarterback. It's, it's, it's across the board. It's a very discouraging picture for a program that has set the standard for buyout money now on a coach at $88, $90 million, whatever it is. And, you know, a month ago, the sentiment was, well, yeah, it's not a good year, but, but they're not going to fire him. I don't know where the, where the vibe is. And that's why Billy Lucci joins us in hour number three today at 520 Eastern. Well, here's the scenario I'm going to bring up to Billy, because I, I still think ultimately they're probably not going to part ways and pay right. him $86 million. They're going to try to do something to convince him to make necessary changes. But I brought this scenario up yesterday, and I want to bring it up to Billy Lucci, if the answer truly is to go back to boosters and a collective and say, hey, these guys want this much to stay, some of our highly heralded Mm -hmm. recruiting class, I don't know how you can make that ask with a straight face after this season. Now, if you want to go to the boosters and say, it's going to take this much to hire this top brand offensive coordinator to come in and overhaul the offense, that's an easier ask. So is that really going to be a thing where there's going to be fundraising efforts to keep guys that were promised NIL money I, to stay in the program? I, I don't think you can do that. They, and this, Hutton, here's one hint that I don't think that's going to happen is the fact that Moose Muhammad didn't play because he, wouldn't wear, he, he wanted to wear sleeves. So Jimbo yeah. Fisher doesn't sound like a guy that's going to come well, back and say, oh yeah, you're going to hold me hostage and I'm now going to make sure you get paid more money to stay. If someone's demanding. Where the money's going to come from for recruiting is going to start with the offensive coordinator that's taking over play calling duties. That's, that's the trade-off. Um, that's how you get the money to keep the players to stay if you want to keep them. That, that, to me, that's the business transaction of it. They've gone 12 straight games, A&M has, on offense against FBS competition without scoring more than 30 points. That's got to change. And it's, it changes with the play calling and the system. When Billy Lucci comes on, and we're previewing this interview, because I, I know uh, Billy, I, I'm curious, because he's got a great ear on the ground for everything within that program and all the oil money and everything that dives into that football uh, program. I want you to give your example later of the offensive coordinator you would hire to show up in College Station. Um, the quarterback 
at Kentucky next year will not be Will Levis. And if you ask those around the scouting circles in the NFL, if we were doing a column and we were going through the top 10 most talented players right now on our big board, which you're going to see everyone from Kuiper to Pro Football Focus, and I read and and I, I take in all this. Um, and I'm not saying that they're awful at anything because I'm reading through a lot of the takes from PFF on Bryce Young to Will Anderson. Scroll down and Quentin Johnson at TCU is a great example of how they compare him to Debo Samuel, except Quentin Johnson 6'4", 215 from TCU. But when I get to uh, Will Levis, who, by the way, is their third best prospect right now in the country for the NFL. Quarterback or overall? Overall. It, oh it's gosh. Bryce Young. Their big board. Bryce Young, top 100 prospects. Young, Will Anderson, Will Levis is number three, followed by C.J. Stroud, Jalen Carter. Uh, the list goes on and on. So the descriptions here are not all bad. But the Will Levis one leaves me thinking, have you... Have you watched this guy play? Have you watched him execute and, and actually produce? Because we haven't. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Levis has tools for days. Quick release, howitzer arm, legit rushing ability. Levis has it all. And unlike most quarterbacks built for their tools at the collegiate level, Levis isn't far off from being able to operate an NFL offense because he's doing it the last two years under Liam Cohen and Rich Scangarello, uh, often, offensive coordinators from the NFL. Like, that's the description. That's a bio that you would hear on, that I could write for Wikipedia on. Like if, if I didn't watch Will Levis at all this season, I could tell you that based on what we knew from last year going into this year. I could write that in August or July at SEC Media Days. That goes unchanged. What, I ha- what hasn't changed is his production, which is not good. Uh, Joe Milton produced the same numbers in backup duty last week against Missouri for Tennessee. On With what? three passes. Three passes. He was three for three. That Will Levis did against the Vanderbilt defense. The Vanderbilt defense that ranked where in pass coverage? 130 out of 131 nationally. Now, it's not all on the quarterback. But if you're a legit third overall prospect for the NFL draft, you're better than that. And the routine is, at best, it's been very average. I realize some of the numbers are very flashy, and you'll see spots here and there where you see the talent. I get it. But it's too inconsistent to continue this kick the can down the road of let's go ahead and like pump the tires on on Will Levis because it's November it's not even April and he's already being heralded here and and to me this is setting up for a huge decline where we're sitting here going we're not going to buy it when people say man he is really falling off he's a he's really dropped as the draft has continued he's really hurt himself in these workouts i'm sure he's a workout warrior you know, there's a reason why the NFL scouts love him. I just don't see it on game day. Your thoughts on that description? It, it does look like someone clipped something from someone tweeted a two or three part tweet that writes at the Athletic, and they just copied and pasted uh, all the talking points about strong arm, can run, pro style offense. Who cares? The guy does not produce. He had a pretty good season a year ago, but still threw too many interceptions. Right. For my liking. That, that, With Wondell Robinson. That's fine. This year, if you are a top-level draft pick on an SEC team that has returning talent that's commensurate with being picked second in a division, you don't bottom out to this level. You also don't roll your teammates under the bus the way he did 
with post-game comments, I thought, after the Vanderbilt game, there are other reasons to not love Will Levis as a prospect. I think even the staunchest of Big Blue Nation fans are starting to come to that realization. Go ask a Kentucky fan if they get it, if they see it now, this deep into the season, after that Vanderbilt game. That ability, while the physical ability may be there, there is something lacking with Will Levis. His decision-making, where he's putting the football, his timing, he holds on to it too long at times. Some of these sacks are on him and not the offensive line. You can't take away Wondell Robinson and completely bottom out as an offense if you are a top-level NFL draft pick as a college quarterback. I am telling you right now, if you are a fan of a team that has a team in your division that is considering drafting a quarterback early, you are on your knees at night praying to the good Lord that they draft Will Levis from Kentucky as that quarterback because it will set their franchise back years if that happens. They will be drafting another quarterback again probably in the very near future. Will Levis is a fourth or fifth round pick that is a developmental backup. He's a guy that you take those physical tools we talked about. The traits. You sit him behind a proven quarterback and you let him work and see if he can improve his progression, what he's seeing during the game, all those things. And maybe one day he'll be a good NFL starter. He's not a top five draft pick. It's just not the case. And I really believe, Hutton, even with all this smoke around Mel Kuyper and pro football focus and Todd McShay and NFL draft scouts love this and that, it's going to bear out that he's not a first-round pick. I just think come draft time, people well, are going to see through this. I don't know I don't know about that because there's this year, unlike last year, this year there will be a number of teams in the market. And if you look at the current draft order, I mean, it's... I, I agree with you, but I also know that a quarterback need jumps to the front of the line. And there will be a team that will reach ahead in the first round for him um, based on the fact that they're not able to get the free agent. They don't have the salary cap, whatever it is. But right now, Houston, uh, who knows about Las Vegas right now? It's Derek. To me, it feels like it's Josh McDaniels or Derek Carr that's out. Carolina. Um, Jacksonville, no. Philly, no. Chicago, no. But here, here you go. You've got Detroit, uh, Houston again with another top 10 pick currently because they get Cleveland's pick. Uh, keep going down the list. Um, the Buccaneers are going to be in the mix for a quarterback, most likely. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a number... Kyle Trask isn't the answer. Yeah. I mean, there are a number of program organizations that are going to be looking for the college programs. And with I think the thing that Will Levis does have in his, in his favor is he's playing against the SEC competition, so it's a very easy evaluation, right? It's not like you have to make up, like, well, he's he's at Wyoming, so you've got, you're trying to figure out offensive line talent versus, I mean... Yeah, his teammates are really bad because he's at this lower-level program. Whatever it might be, and he's putting up huge numbers, but he's also inaccurate. I mean, with this, we, we know at Kentucky, they're built in the trenches, they're built on the offensive line, at least that's been that's been the narrative built on the, the run game with one of the top running backs in the country coming into the season. Um, I know he didn't start the season, but again, he's, we know what Rodriguez is about. And then defense is always consistent with Stoops. And the inconsistency has been at quarterback over the last couple of years. Need to also throw in Indianapolis, 
Who knows about Washington? Um, again, un, uh, Arizona, don't know. There's a number of teams that I think will be in the quarterback market, and maybe they're in the trade market. Maybe they're in the uh, uh, free agency bids. Some of, Maybe Brady plays somewhere else and fills one of these. Don't know. But Will Levis, to me, is not the 2023 answer. Look, I'm not saying the guy shouldn't be drafted. I think he should be drafted at some point. Yeah. All I'm saying is if you're in the quarterback market and you're in the first-round quarterback market, you need to be in the Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Hendon Hooker even market for a quarterback. Will Levis does not belong on that list with those quarterbacks that I just named. And there are others I'd put ahead of him as well. That's just, to me, it's the simple truth when you turn on a game and watch him play the quarterback position. And I don't care that he's playing the last two years for two different NFL coordinators in a pro-style system. By the way, uh, they have Levis third and Hendon Hooker 49th in their rankings in the top 100. Coming up, there is a new sport that is, well, maybe not new, but it's new to TV. Uh, we'll tell you about and give our thoughts. Plus, um, Michael Jordan's son. <laughs> I laugh just hearing this. Michael Jordan's son doing something that I wish would have happened whenever they filmed <laughs> The Last Dance. <laughs> the Last Dance with Scottie Pippen. Uh, you got to hear this. That's next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Former Auburn Tigers quarterback Jason Campbell will be with us in nine minutes. I'll kick 360 rolls on. Um, Pickleball is coming with uh, Stephen Colbert as the host of this show. It's hard to miss if you're watching CBS, uh, NFL, whatever it is. Um, it's, uh, pickleball's all the rage, right? Um, at least I see on social media a lot of people playing or whatever. Um, Instagram stories, different things. But when I see this, I'm thinking this is like a, they're going to have uh, Bill Raftery on the broadcast, Colbert's host. It feels like America Ninja Warrior to me. Yeah, there, I think there's two different things. There's this charity, celebrity, pickled thing with Stephen Colbert. Then there's this legitimate pro pickleball league that Kevin Durant owns a team. Brady does too. And there's others that are going to own a team. So one's like a TV event. The other's a legitimate league. Here's my one broad takeaway from this, Hutton. Um, there are things that I see or hear about that I want to participate in but not watch. Pickleball is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I have asked like four different friends, will you please play pickleball with me? Because I see people at the park playing it, and it looks awesome. But that's a sport that me as a 40-year-old man wants to pick up to play on the side to try to stay in shape. It's not something I'm like, you know what I really want to do now? Pick my favorite pro pickleball team and watch that on television at night. Like, there are activity sports for adults, and there are sports to watch. This is one and not the other. And what it is, is a sport you want to play, not watch. Is That's it, where I'm having a hard time is with Is it in the same lane as cornhole? I mean, it's a lot more active than cornhole, 
but in for terms viewership, of I'm saying like the the pleasure yes. in watching the sport. There, when I say sport, you know what I mean. Like um, pickleball, uh, is that what ESPN and CBS are trying to recreate with the cornhole tournaments that they have? Yeah, I don't know how well those cornhole tournaments rate. They're on all the time. I though. think though, Hutton, it's a great comparison in that I would also describe yeah. cornhole throwing bags as an activity and not a spectator sport. If your father's watching, um, if I see someone in the courtyard, the beer garden here at Sixth and Peabody throwing bags, you know what I want to do? I want to throw bags. They're challenging. I don't want to sit and watch them throw bags for the next hour. I want to call next. If I see a pickleball court and an awesome pickleball match break out, I want to call next. I don't want to then go home and start streaming a pickleball match (laughs) to watch. So that's where I think the disconnect is here. With this pro league, they're making some cash. If you if you're in the pro league, uh, Brady, I'm reading the story where Brady and uh, others with a management firm own an expansion franchise in Major League Pickleball. Next year, they'll have 16 teams and six events, and the prize money is expected to be over two million dollars. So they've got a nice little budget going as they try to grow it. The first year for this was 2021. So. It's very young, but we're seeing the networks dive in on this and see how it takes off. Um, Michael Jordan's son is dating Scottie Pippen's ex-wife. Did you you told me this? Yeah, this is a thing. Yeah, it's it's a thing. It's also the goat doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> Can you imagine Scottie Pippen on the Last Dance? Maybe the, he knew it then. The goat doesn't fall far from the tree. Th- this is a move that Jordan would wow. have made if someone badmouthed him. And deep down, Jordan's like, yeah, we set this up. I can just still see Jordan saying, Scotty was being selfish. <laughs> Jason Campbell is next. We'll talk Auburn Tiger football.